0: Welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnor and Navia, two psychotherapy students as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In
1: today's episode, we're excited to welcome Christina Viro. Christina is a registered psychotherapist and holistic nutritionist who is dedicated to reducing stigma around mental health and helping people learn effective strategies so they can feel less stuck and feel more empowered in their life. She honors this mission through providing psychotherapy and nutritional counseling at her wellness clinic. Fresh Insight, which offers support for people of all ages and backgrounds. Christina's determination to spread her knowledge and passion to others have allowed her clinic to help more than a thousand people, and she has shared her expertise with a number of media outlets, including Flair, Canadian Living, El Canada, and a number of podcasts, radio, and television shows. When she isn't at work, She can be found knitting her 900th pair of socks and forcing affection on her cats. She's also actually recently started her TikTok journey by creating psychotherapy and mental health-focused videos. Her first video was weighing in on the Love is Blind cast through a psychotherapy lens. Follow and check out Christina's TikTok page at fresh underscore insight. Welcome, Christina. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is so fun to be able to talk about mental health and reality TV, which are my
2: two favorite things. So this is great.
1: Yeah, it's a fun topic. And I think Love is Blind has been such an interesting show because it's really highlighted a lot of different themes and things that have come up. And we're so excited to talk more about that today. But before we jump into that, could you tell us a bit more about your practice and your area of specialty within therapy itself? Sure. So I started my practice by myself in 2018, and it was just
2: me at the time. My main specialty is anxiety, trauma. Self-esteem and identity issues, infertility, and I do individual and couples work with adults. And then I sort of started started expanding as I started to get busier and my waitlist grew. So now there's a team of eight of us. So we have um, some other therapists who specialize in areas that I don't specialize in. So we have somebody who works with kids and families, for example, and then somebody else who works with couples as well around issues like grief or trauma as well or whatever it might happen to be. So it's been really cool and surreal to see the practice grow over the years and to just start working with some other therapists so I don't feel so lonely and isolated in my journey. So I've, I've been really enjoying having them on board as well.
0: That's amazing. And we're so excited to actually hear more about couples therapy because that's new for Prabhnoor and I. A lot of our program focuses on adults and individual or group therapy. So we're excited to hear more about what that dynamic is like and how you might apply even couples therapy to our love is blind couples. Very excited to hear about that. So we did want to give a little bit of an overview of the show Love is Blind for those who haven't seen it or it's been a little while. Love is Blind is a reality TV show based on this idea of testing whether love is actually blind. So they call it an experiment and this experiment involves a handful of singles that date each other in these pods where they get to not see each other but only have a conversation with each other and hopefully form a connection over time. And so the goal of the show is to get to know the person on a deeper level without any distractions or without this idea of what that physical appearance might be. So if there is a connection, then you can propose to the other person that you've been talking to. And if you both agree, then you meet for the very first time and get whisked away into this honeymoon type of vacation in Mexico. If they survive this honeymoon phase, then they go back to the real world, live together for a couple of weeks, get introduced to each other's families and friends, And after four weeks, there is the wedding where the person will choose if they actually say I do and go ahead with being together. This really is about proving whether an emotional connection, sight unseen, makes love truly blind. So it's quite a cool concept. And we're wondering, Christina, what were your initial reactions to this idea of the show Love is Blind and how did you react to it overall? Well, I
2: love reality TV, like I said. And so anytime there's a new show, I'm all up in it. So I was super excited, but also because this was, like you said, an experiment. So it was kind of like this Psychological experiment of how can people date in this world where they can't see each other, and you take away all of the superficial appearance-based presumptions Mm. or whatever it happens to be. So I was super excited. It's funny because as you were saying the synopsis, I actually totally forgot that there was a wedding at the end, and I was just (laughs) like, oh my gosh, that show was crazy if you think about it. That they actually ended up proposing, and some of them happened even before they had seen each other. So I just remember watching it and thinking, who would sign up for this show? But thank God they did because this is very entertaining.
1: I love the show. It is, it's such a wacky concept to me to... I think the timeline is what really throws me off. Is I heard actually that they only get to I think talk to one another for about seven minutes or so in those pods. So I don't know if I read it somewhere or heard it from one of the cast members, but I remember seeing that that number, and I'm like seven minutes for I I think it was about ten days or so before they propose and do the other part of that stuff. And I'm like, how can you possibly get to know an individual within such a short amount of time? And I think over. Overall, the whole pace of this show is so it's difficult to really get to know one another get to know the details of this other person how you're going to really create a relationship around that with this fast pace that you see throughout the 10 odd episodes that there are in there
2: oh totally i actually just made a TikTok about one of the reasons i think that reality couples don't ever last is because of what you just said that they barely spend any time together i mean even shows like the bachelor I've also read that they barely spend much time together actually as a couple. And it's also when, at least on that show, you're on vacation, you're not in the real world. What I liked about love is blind is they try to do some of that. So you did actually get to meet the real friends and family. You did get to see their apartments or where they live sometimes. So that, that was really neat, but I totally hear you that proposing to somebody after seven minutes, of a conversation where you can't even see each other. To me, I just cannot fathom ever being okay with that. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think even that next step, like, okay, you've proposed now, now you've met each other and you're starting to integrate your lives a little bit. You only have four weeks or three weeks after that point to then go ahead, get married, invite all these friends and family to, to be there, to witness it, and then have to wait until that moment to know, is that person going to say, I do? Am I going to say, I do? I think... I was just imagining, like, that is so anxiety-inducing. That's so stressful, so much pressure in that moment. It's great TV because I love watching it, but for them, I'm not sure how that would really take a toll on you and your relationship. Oh, my gosh. I always said that I think my
2: dream job would be to be a psychotherapist who's almost on call on the reality show, because I really think they must need it. Like you said, it's, there's Mm. so much anxiety, so much going on. you can't a lot of the time talk to your friends or family when they're filming. So I think having somebody to talk to would be so important for these people. I could never do it. So kudos to them.
1: Absolutely. I think this idea of being so disconnected from everyone adds another layer of confusion, anxiety. This There's just so much going on and add on now you're going to be in a relationship and now you're going to get married. And there's just so much pressure that it's surprising that people actually do end up getting married afterwards. And I think from the first season, there's the two couples that did get married and they're still together. And it seems like things are going well. So it's great to see that it it seems to work for some folks, but we'd love to talk a bit more about the couples and the individuals on the second season. So I know that in your TikToks, you started breaking it down and you were talking about some of the things you'd like to work with, with some of the individuals and couples. So I'm wondering if maybe we start off with Shane. So if you were to work with Shane in therapy, what would you like to talk about?
2: Oh my gosh, Shane, he he was just somebody where I was like, oh my gosh, this, this man, I think I would like to talk to him for a lot of sessions. If I could, <laughs> again, I know that it's completely edited. So yeah, I, I'm very aware that I'm basing these opinions off of something that is not reality to me, but mm-hmm. with Shane, I would totally want to talk about how to communicate more respectfully I don't know if you two have covered this in your program, but something I really like is this concept of the four horsemen of the apocalypse in an approach called Gottman's therapy, which is commonly used for couples. But they talk about how there's four different types of arguments, or I guess traits in an argument that can predict if a couple is going to actually divorce. So they are contempt, criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling, which stonewalling is basically where somebody completely shuts down and they're not even responding, whatever, right? And so I think I saw a lot of the defensiveness and criticism with Shane, just anytime somebody brought something up, there's that scene with Natalie, where he calls her the wrong name. And somehow, by the end of it, she's apologizing to him, which was just so awful for me to watch. I was just yelling at my TV. But I think learning how to communicate respectfully in an argument, learning how to be more receptive would be probably the most helpful thing with Shane. I know there was a rumor mill too. And again, I don't know anything about what's reality and what's not, but there were a lot of rumors that he was not sober during the filming, which I did wonder about. I don't know if it's because he's just a very effusive and hyper individual, or if there was maybe some sort of substance use going on, I guess we'll, we'll never really know, but it's, of course, if that was something that somebody was dealing with, it would probably be important to talk about too. Again, I don't know, obviously, but I'm just basing it off of some assumptions and rumor mill stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. There was a lot of like hyperactivity going on, like a lot of moving around, fidgeting, um, which can come with like being filmed and not being comfortable, of course. But it did stand out to me because I didn't see that behavior in everyone else, right? So that's why this was particularly obvious for me. And Yeah, I think it was so painful to see some of those conversations that they had and how it gets turned around where the other person is apologizing or starting to feel bad. And when they're clearly very hurt, but that's not being heard, it's really shifting that focus. So I think even like you said, with the communication, even just like listening, right, like the active listening, actually getting that person's perspective. I was missing a lot of that with Shane. Oh, totally. And I think at the wedding, Natalie
2: and him, obviously, spoiler alert, to anybody who hasn't seen it, but Natalie ends up saying no. And then it was because of a huge blowout that they had the night before where she talks about that. He basically said that he hated her and just said some really hurtful things. So You have to wonder is a, somebody saying those things when they're maybe not sober or B is that somebody who just gets so dysregulated during an argument that they cannot calm themselves down and listen or not get defensive like we're talking about. So there's obviously something going on within him where he just loses his cool in those moments. And I'd want to talk about that with him for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think another piece that you also mentioned in your TikTok as well was this idea of taking accountability, because even in that scene, I remember there was that disconnect when they were mentioning how Natalie was quite upset and said there's this big argument where Shane kind of called it like, oh, it was like this little thing that we had and it wasn't a big deal. And even in other instances, when Natalie brought up other concerns, he always went, like you said, on that defensive. So taking accountability and talking a bit about that, I'm wondering how that would look. Oh my
2: gosh, totally. Yes, there wasn't really much accountability taking. It was interesting in the re- reunion because I wonder, he was pretty quiet d- during the reunion episode to be fair. Yeah. And I think he was trying to be more accountable, so I guess kudos to him for that because I wonder if maybe some self-awareness came from this. And I've seen on TikTok that he's working out a lot now and focusing on his physical health. So, I mean, who knows, but I hope that that path continues for him of just learning to listen and your mouth a little bit sometimes and take care of yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what you get when you finish a show like this. You do get some time in the real world to process. I feel like with this timeline that we've talked about, things happen so quickly and there's almost this need for drama, I think. Like you you, of course, want some interesting stuff to happen, and it's like, well, what exactly am I doing? What decisions am I making? Not getting a chance to process and then respond, but more so it's like this attack mode, right? Back and forth. And so I I wonder then if that time that he got after, before they actually did the reunion, may have helped him process and realize and actually reflect on those conversations and time can help with that, right? It can bring that self-awareness for you.
2: Which is interesting because this might be a good segue for Sheikh because Mm -hmm. I found that on the reunion episode for him,
0: it was almost
2: like he did the opposite. Because during the show, my opinion was that I was noticing him grow as an individual. He seemed to be becoming really self-aware about certain habits that he had. And I was really excited for that. And then the reunion episode, he just went 180, almost kind of more than he was at the beginning of just being really... Superficial and not really caring about anything other than somebody's appearance and kind of mocking the show altogether. And so I was actually really disappointed uh, with him at the reunion. I'm speaking as if I know him personally, like I was so disappointed. But but you know what I was (laughs) as an audience member.
0: Yeah, I think I was as well. And just the way he approached the conversation, like there was no sense of being civil, no sense of like, I take ownership for the things that I did say. It was very much, this is the way it is. We're animals. Come on, guys, like you get on board. This is how the world works. And there was no scope for like, you know what, maybe, maybe I can take a moment to reflect. Maybe I can look back and, and look inwards a little bit. It was very attack and very, this is the way it is. So I can't imagine how one could be in an open relationship with someone like where there was that back and forth conversation when he's so fixed in his ways and so fixed in his opinions, no scope to actually listen to someone.
1: Yeah, it almost felt like he really, he he took the feedback that people were giving him from the show and was like, okay, you know, fine. I am going to be this, you know, villain. I think that's what he also said. Like, I'll be the villain of the show. Like, you know, I can be the person that everyone makes a scapegoat or whatever it is. But I think in doing so and really putting up all these defenses that he did, he lost that slight progression that it looked like he was making through the show. And it, it was really sad to see because, you know you're putting yourself out there for the public to then see that okay this is this is okay to do or this is fine people do this and it's just a normal part of life but it's unfair to get to see that representation and now i hear that he has a podcast and he's doing a lot more other stuff i think it's called love is blurry actually it is oh dear i must listen to this that is
2: definitely <laughs> what i'll be doing during my car rides i had no idea about that yeah and you know i'm thinking too though how I think I see a lot of what Shake was doing in the reunion episode in individuals that I work with in terms of having that defense mechanism of I'm going to sort of beat people to the punch for lack of a better word. So I think about the ways that a lot of us do that through self-criticism, especially if we have any perfectionism going on. It's like, well, I'm just gonna beat myself up or having this really self-deprecating humor because then at least I'm saying it to myself first and nobody else can say it before I do. And so it's pretty smart if you're somebody who's feeling maybe insecure about something. But I I noticed the exact same thing. It was like every negative descriptor he just started owning in the episode of, yeah, I'm like this. Yeah, I'm like this. Because, well, now none of us said it. He did.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was also very interesting, the approach that he was trying to take at the reunion. Now, I can't remember how the first season's reunion went, but the way that they broke down this second season's reunion was very much that the hosts were going through couple by couple and trying to gather their experiences and opinions on what happened and why things worked out or they didn't. But it felt like Shake really wanted to jump in and start some drama or really, like, dig into people's dirty laundry. I don't know what was happening, but that was very interesting to see that shift. And then when people called him out on it, he got very like defensive and is like, well, this is what people want. So I thought that was an interesting thing that I noticed in the reunion as well.
2: Oh, I noticed the same thing. It was like two minutes in, I had just sat down with my glass of wine and shots were being fired. And I was like, (laughs) yes, I am here for this episode tonight. But it was, yeah, he was there. He was there to stir the pot for sure. Yeah,
0: I think it was almost the way that I saw it was everyone's been attacking me and I've been getting a lot of hate on whether social media or other platforms and he was like now it's my turn to like take control show everyone who's boss and be that villain exactly be that villain that everyone's saying I am whereas he had a chance to actually take a step back that's what the reunion could have been for right take a step back be honest and talk to everyone apologize for some of the things he did say to Deepthi but no, he took a different approach. And, you know, that's just something he'll have to he'll have to deal with. But I'm wondering, Christina, for you, what would you talk to Shake about in therapy? And then also, I'm wondering about Shake and Dipdi together as a couple.
2: Yes, with Shake, I think there was actually a lot of internalized racism. And for anybody who's listening, who might not know what that means. It's when you live in a patriarchal, white-oriented society that's very oppressive to other races. And if you live in that kind of a climate, then you can start to believe the really awful things that are being said about your ethnicity, your race, your background. And I think that was going on for him. There seemed to be quite a bit of shame about his own Indian background and culture. He was saying that he never dated a fellow Indian woman. He only went for short, petite white women, which is very Western. And So I would definitely want to talk about that. But I think sometimes when people are dealing with any type of shame, they can compensate for it by going to this place of grandiosity, which is when you basically think that you're better than everybody else. So, you know, it's important to maybe unpack some of that pain and some of that trauma he's experienced, but also that doesn't necessarily mean that you have the right to be cruel to other people or whatever it happens to be. Right. And I, I think with him and Deep as a couple, what I found really sad was that he was very open about how unsexy he found her. And it was really hard to watch. That's totally okay. If that's your opinion, but he was telling his friends, his family, this friend over here, this cameraman over here, like, you know, just everybody. So I think if it were couples therapy, first of all, I really hope that they don't stay, or I'm glad that they weren't a couple because it was just a bit of a mess. So thank Mm -hmm. God they're not a couple, but if they were, I would probably talk about boundaries within and outside of the relationship in terms of what's appropriate to talk about in your relationship for both parties and are you in agreement about that but also maybe some sex therapy or talking about how intimacy can be achieved in ways other than just physical sex and how can you achieve that intimacy even just through your conversations or through non-physical ways so that's probably what I talk about with them
1: yeah I'm wondering has there been similar themes that have come up for you in your work as well at the private practice that you work at
2: Ooh, in terms of grandiosity and shame and yeah. all that's Oh, yes, indeed. Yep. And those are some really fascinating, but very emotionally charged sessions, because sometimes you can have people who are in that grandiose headspace that have actually never been called out on it before. And I, as a therapist, am really about, I just think it's respectful to be honest. If people are coming in and being so honest with me, I'm very okay with sharing an opinion, even if it's going to be hard to hear. And I, you know, I obviously do it in a respectful and compassionate way, but I've certainly worked with people where I've had to say, you know, when I'm in a room with you, the way that you come across to me is that you make me feel very unsettled. You make me feel very defensive. And like, I have my guard up and I'm wondering if that's a dynamic that exists in your relationship, because I think that as psychotherapists, we kind of, we live in a space, obviously in this relationship in the room with somebody and we're getting all this data about how we feel in the session. I think that's actually really valuable to use. So that's usually how I'll approach it.
0: Yeah, I really like that. It's something we've talked about in our program, actually, as this use of self, right? And it's not necessarily sharing things about yourself, but more so my reactions, the way that I interpret things and how I feel, because oftentimes, the patterns we see in therapy come up in other relationships. So therapy is just one of those other relationships in life. And so if we can use what We observe, like you're saying, Christina, use what is coming up for us, sharing how we're feeling and responding. It might shed some light in terms of is this coming up in other places? And just even planting that seed of, okay, I do come across this way. Is that how I want to come across, firstly? And if not, what can I do about it? And how can I work on that area? I think that's so insightful and such an important aspect of being a psychotherapist which I know as students for us it takes a little bit of time and practice to feel comfortable sharing that there's a little bit of hesitation initially but hopefully at some point we'll get to a stage where we can we can do that seamlessly
2: oh for sure I mean of course I know that you will and it's interesting what I'm also considering is that I think that's very controversial among other therapists too I've said that to some therapists and some will have the opinion that we should just be these blank slates and you know, But I think personally, some of my most effective moments have come where I've been candid in that way. And of course, it's you approach it with an air of curiosity. It's not like I'm dictating that that's how you are. It's just a curiosity and a wondering. And if they say, actually, no, that doesn't happen in my real life. Okay, that's good to know. And now we can maybe move on. But if they are saying, actually, yes, this has happened in all of my relationships. Well, now we have a lot of data in real time. Like, let's talk about what's going on right now because that's not happening in their real life, right? It's not like they're being rude to somebody and they stop them or, like, oh, let's explore this together. What's this dynamic about? So, I think that could be a real gift in therapy.
1: Yeah. So, thinking about that, then I'm wondering. So, I know we talked a little bit about Shake and what we might want to work on with him. On the other side, maybe looking at Deepthi, what are some things that you feel like could be helpful for her to talk about if she were to ever go to therapy?
2: I think with Deepti, there were also maybe some similar themes of internalized racism and also some internalized fat phobia, where she had been saying that she had been overweight in her mind for many years and lost a lot of weight, and that she had a lot of body image issues and insecurities, which is why it was really painful, I think, for me to hear about Shake's opinions of her physical attractiveness, because that was obviously something she'd gone through and trying to be processing. But I I was really pleasantly surprised with how she was able to stick up for herself at the end. And so I would would probably use a lot of solution-focused therapy, which is all about highlighting the strengths of the person. And, oh my gosh, how did you do that really hard thing in the moment? And what allowed you to access that side of yourself? So I was really, really happy to see that.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. I think definitely that's just the way that reality TV is. But the entire time, it felt like there was no... They didn't show any insights from Deepthi's perspective on how... It seemed like the relationship wasn't as good as we were seeing from Shake's side. So to see that at the end, she was like, "You know what? I I am I know I deserve better, and I know I'm a great person. I know he's never gonna get anyone better than me." And I thought that was amazing. <laughs> so seeing that from the at the very last episode was interesting because it felt like throughout the entire season there was no there was no indication that things were going poorly from her side. So it it was good to see some of that from from her and see her grow in that perspective.
0: I was just going to say I was so happy to also see her support system and that might be something to even just talk about, right? Like maybe not something that necessarily needs to be worked on actively, but it was just so nice to see her parents stand up for her, her sister, her friends, and just how close she had gotten even to the other individuals on the show, right? So some of the other girls and, and how the guys stood up for her as well and I feel like she has that kind of personality from what I saw. Like she's a very loving person and probably quite lovable as well. But yeah, I think that's something I would want to highlight too is like you have this strong support system and you can do hard things when you have that, that system there for you and continuing to maintain that and work on that would just help her even more in the future. Yeah, and I, I love how Shake's mom was part of her support system
2: too. Like after Shake's mom met DT, she's like, son, you better get your act together because it's a wonderful woman. So I loved that moment.
1: It was really nice to see that. And I know that um, we've talked about it, kind of, but I'm wondering if communication within the two of them would be helpful and what that communication could even look like if we're thinking about how they were to share these things that clearly they were talking about with others and on camera, but we never got to see them communicate together. What would what would be something you'd like to work on with them if we were to talk about that? Oh my gosh, that's
2: such a good question. And I was actually just thinking about how I think the presenting concern of them, of I'm not attracted to my partner anymore, I've also seen. And it's a really sticky one to work with because- you know, I think we actually all have a right for our own preferences about what we find physically attractive or not. And I'm not judgmental about that, but how do you address that when the other person is sitting right there? So, I mean, sometimes I think it can be helpful to just talk about how any form of intimacy, sometimes at a certain point in a relationship can become something that requires effort. It's, you know, after a certain point, a lot of couples will say that we're not having sex as much as we used to, or we don't feel attracted to each other as much as we used to but I think that there are skills that we can learn to create an environment that fosters that and catalyzes that. And I think there's a real myth out there that we should just find our partners hot 100% of the time, which, I mean, I definitely do not think of myself that way and don't expect my partner to. So it's like, okay, that's when we maybe need to initiate some date nights or, you know, when can you go on a walk and have these more emotionally connected conversations and feel like you're really in sync in that way. So framing it as, you know, this is something that's actually really common. And it doesn't have to do with, you know, this one person actually putting down the other person, but how can we use this information to help you both and be on the same page about it?
0: Yeah, I really like that. Because a lot of what I was getting from Shake is that this is her problem. Like, this is how I am, I'm not going to change. And this is it, right? You take it or you leave it. And there wasn't that scope for, you know what, maybe there's something we can both do. Maybe we can work on it in different ways. It was like, this is what it is. She's like my cousin or like my aunt and I just can't look at her. And it was so harsh to hear, not even giving it a chance to attempt, right? And to try something and to be open-minded about it. And I think that was so unfair for her to have to hear afterwards, for her family to have to hear afterwards too on the show. Like, can't even imagine what that would have looked like for them. Oh my gosh. And I remember Shane, funny enough, having this like pearl of wisdom
2: that came out of absolutely nowhere, but he was talking to shake and saying, you know, you haven't even tried to do anything. You haven't even seen if you feel that way when you're actually making out or hooking up or whatever. So I was like, oh my gosh, Shane, where did that come from? But I thought that was
1: quite wise. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It felt like he didn't want to put the effort, in, and I'm not sure where that... I mean, he he claimed that that's because he wasn't physically attracted to Deepthi, but it also felt like he didn't want to put the effort in or want to try to make it work. It was sort of just... It's just happening, like, this is just the part of the show, and at the end of it, it's not going to work out, and that's fine. Although his his reaction at the, at the very end to her being like, no, I don't want to get married, was also very intriguing. It felt very much like... Again, thinking very high of himself, like, oh, if she would, if I would have said yes, then she would have said yes. It's again very much centered to him and what he thinks is important, which I thought was again a very, I guess, I suppose, very characteristic of how he was throughout the show. But sad to see.
2: Yes, I remember definitely swearing at the TV when he pulled that <laughs> line of, oh, well, if she had said, uh, if I had said, or whatever, if she had said yes, then I don't even remember. But it was just so self-absorbed and so presumptuous.
0: So unusual, right? Like not giving yourself a chance to even like sit with that. But it was very much, let's party. I'm off until this time. And it's like pushing that away, not wanting to feel the emotions that come with it. If there were any, I'm not sure. But still, I imagine after, you know, like meeting each other, going through this journey together, there's some connection there's something there maybe that you might be letting go of and I got no sense of that it was very much like okay we're moving on and actually he's dating someone now Christina I'm not sure if you know I've been stalking his Instagram a lot he's such an intriguing (laughs) character (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah so he's dating someone now um and I think that's also a whole other episode on its own to think about what their dynamic might look like and the specific person he's chosen but yeah just interesting to see so I
1: know we have one more couple that we want to talk about, and this includes Danielle and Nick. So if we we're to think about them as a couple, so I know at the end, again, spoiler, if for those who haven't watched, they did end up getting married and they are still married right now and they're living on as a happy couple or as a couple. So I'm wondering what is something that you would like to work on with the two of them? Because we saw a lot of different themes come up throughout the show within their relationship as well.
2: Yes. I actually found their relationship really difficult to watch only because I had a lot of empathy for Danielle. I, the way that I experienced her was that there was a lot of anxiety about their relationship and how Nick felt about her and how she felt about him and about their communication. And I think if you're somebody who has anxiety, that's actually a really common and easy thing to have happen, but it, it was really heartbreaking to see how sometimes that anxiety became the, focus of their relationship. It was almost like this third person in the room, whenever they had these situations. And so I think with her individually, I would want to talk about how do you manage that on your own? And then also for them as a couple, if we actually conceptualize this as a third party in your relationship, right? It's like Danielle, Nick, and the anxiety, what, how do we know when that's present? How are we going to handle that in the future? What would be the best approach that feels good for both of you in a way that also doesn't enable the anxiety? Because I know one of the, something that people had a lot of questions about in the TikTok that I made about Love is Blind season two was about how reassurance seeking actually doesn't help the cycle of anxiety in the long run. So people are like, what do you mean it doesn't help? So trying to, okay, if you're not going to ask for reassurance seeking, what's the other strategy that you can use?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think anxiety is such a complicated experience. And as students, we're just slowly starting to understand what that can look like for individuals. And then to add in a relationship, to add in reality TV construct, right, all of that coming into play. And even for Nick, this might be even his first experience with someone who's experiencing anxiety, right? And how some psychoeducation around that area, what that looks like, what this person might need in the moment. And I know that a lot of work when we do uh, focus on anxiety is even the role of the family with reassurance seeking and the role of a partner. And so if someone is asking for a lot of reassurance, maybe not giving it at all times, right? Like learning how to communicate that. Learning where those boundaries are, that would be helpful for both of you because I imagine this is a very different experience for someone, right? And to be thrust into a relationship suddenly and then about to get married, so much can come up for for both of you. Totally, yeah.
1: I'm wondering with the two of them, so I know we talked about like psychoeducation, communication, is there something that would be helpful for Nick to work on individually in addition to Danielle working on her anxiety individually.
2: Yes. I mean, the way that I experienced him from this very edited show, I'm aware of (laughs) I found it really interesting to see his background and his family and how they interacted. That episode just kind of opened my eyes of who this person is and what's influenced him and how I took it. I know that he had mentioned he was the first person to move on to post secondary education in his family. He seemed to be somebody who was very regimented, very, kind of in control, I suppose, of his life, like having a routine and things like that. And so I guess I would want to explore, you know, how is that developed in your life? And do you like that quality of yourself? Or is it something that you want to work on? Is it, do you want to actually learn how to let loose a little bit more sometimes and be a little bit more flexible, which you might not, you might say, actually, this is totally great with my lifestyle, but you know, are there ways that that actually might be interfering with your relationship? I know that when she asked him to put on that costume that she had, it was like, he just, I could feel he was so uncomfortable. And I was like, what is going on there? So I would just want to explore themes of control and maybe how his family's influenced his coping.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's so interesting to get that insight into their backgrounds and actually meeting the families. And as therapists, of course, we know that that's a huge part of what we do, right, is collecting that information, asking those questions, and also getting to do it through this show and getting to see, okay, like that's your, your parents' relationship. This is what it was like. This is how your childhood was. It helps form this picture almost and puts together the puzzle pieces where you're like, okay, that's that's Nick and who he is today. That makes sense and where it's coming from. Now what, right? Is that helpful? Is it not? Is it productive for you? Is it getting you towards your values and your goals in life? Or is there room to improve on it? I think it's yeah, such a good point that actually learning about that history and that entire development can shed so much light. So
1: I know we've talked a lot about the couples and things that we would want to work with with them. So I'm wondering, are there any other mental health related themes or stuff that was coming up throughout the show that you've also seen in your own private practice? And what are some of those common themes that you've noticed come up for couples when they are coming in to seek therapy? You know, I think
2: the biggest thing that stands out automatically is just being more open with one another and I know that sounds super simple but I'm thinking of even with Shayna and Kyle for example about this whole religion conversation came up in how we saw it as the viewers very late it seemed or something
1: mm-hmm. and
2: just some other themes of with uh, Sheik and Dee and him not being open with her about those things it's like what is the hesitancy around being open with your partner and I think that's different for everybody based on our own experiences and based on the dynamic between them but that's really what couples therapy is all about is how can we have a safe space where people can feel like they can bring some of these more touchy subjects to the forefront and then feel like they're tended to in a therapeutic way. And what's cool about couples therapy is you get to see in real time, how each party responds. Right? So if somebody says, well, I feel like you always criticize me. And then the other person just starts criticizing them. It's like, Oh, great. We get to watch that. And we can pause the session and say, Oh, is this what you do at home? How can we try something differently while you're here?
0: Yeah, it sounds like very much like that experiment almost. It's like, okay, here's a situation that comes up for us. How do we work on that in real time? How can we notice things? Because sometimes that comes up a lot too, is that I didn't even notice I do this. I didn't even realize that I act this way because things happen so fast, especially in an argument or in something that's a lot more emotionally heated. It's like, I don't even realize that that's what I chose to do. And giving yourself a chance to like make a choice and not just respond in autopilot in a session when there's a therapist there like I can can just imagine how valuable and insightful that can be for both sides of it totally Yeah. yeah so to me it sounds like communication is a big part of a lot of what we saw for sure and then Christina we have this one final slightly challenging question for you which is do you think that love is blind after everything you've seen on this show your own experience as a couples therapist what are your thoughts on that
2: I'd have to say no. I mean, I think everybody's different, but honestly, I was even thinking about so many things that don't even have to do with appearances that we might pick up on when we're with somebody in person. Right? There's this concept called neuroception, which is that our nervous system is basically picking up on so many cues from our environment subconsciously all the time and giving us information about how we feel. So, you know, if you're around somebody and their body language is a certain way that actually makes you feel really uncomfortable, maybe they're one of those close talkers, which make me uncomfortable that has nothing to do with their appearance, but that would rub me a certain way or even what they smell like, or even what their facial expressions are like when you're talking, like, are they looking away? Do they seem engaged? These are all bits of information that consciously or not we're picking up on. So no, I I also think we unfortunately do live in a society that really is kind of superficial, but also we all have the right to be attracted to who we want to be attracted to. And so, I don't know, I think that's an important part of the picture and good for
1: these people for trusting the process but i don't think i would ever be so brave oh it's it's so difficult you're thrown into this really interesting experience and then you're expected to get married at the end of it and there's so many i feel like all of your emotions and all of your experiences are just heightened because it's on such a fast pace and you're just trying to honestly you're just trying to get through like day to day experiences that you might even go over in months and weeks. So to cram that all in like a month or two month experience is wild to me, but very, very entertaining. So I will continue to watch the upcoming seasons should there be any.
2: Yeah, you should watch The Ultimatum. It's made by the same people and it's on Netflix and it's
1: amazing. Really? Okay, okay. I heard about that show, so I think I'll add it to the list and that'll be next. Yeah, maybe we'll do an episode on it with you in the future, Christina.
2: So many things to say. It's so good.
1: We want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to talk to you and hearing more about your insights on the whole process about couples therapy, about the show, and really just individuals and what you would like to do if you were to work with them. So we want to say thank you so much for your time and your thoughts. We had such a fun time talking about everything that we did today.
2: Oh, thank you. This was super fun, and I can't wait for you two to become psychotherapists and keep with your podcast and this is so cool so thanks for having me
0: just as we end we wanted to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational we are not health professionals just graduate students navigating these topics with you any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice diagnosis or treatment so we recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and your well-being. We also wanted to share
1: some resources with you. These include Good to Talk, which is a confidential mental health support for post-secondary students in Ontario and Nova Scotia. Kids Help Phone, which is a free counseling and a free crisis text line service offered 24-7. They're targeted towards the youth population and they share a lot of great mental health resources on their website. There's also Connects Ontario, which is an information and referral service. They focus on mental health, addiction, any problems with gambling in the province of Ontario. They can be reached over the phone, chat, and email 24-7. There's also Wellness Together Canada, a free mental health and substance use portal for anyone in Canada, and they help you get connected with appropriate resources. There's also Virtue Mental, and there's also Open Path Collective, which is a platform that connects you with therapists that provide affordable in-office or online psychotherapy sessions on a sliding scale based on your budget. And these individuals can be found in both the US and Canada. You can also check out christina's private practice which is called fresh insight as she also offers individual and couples therapy you're also encouraged to reach out to any of your local resources for mental health support whether it's for individual therapy couples therapy or any crisis support if you need that help we encourage you to reach out to your local resources
0: as always you can connect with us through our email which is so tell me more podcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at so Tell Me More Podcast. Check out our Instagram for future updates, and it's a great way to share concepts that you're interested in hearing about or any feedback that you might have for us. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new
1: or simply enjoyed our exploration of Love is Blind with Christina. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes, but for now, stay safe and take care.